The lesson this morning is taken from the book of Luke in the New Testament. It's Luke 1, verses 39 to 56. And it is, I believe, on page 1025 of your Pew Bible. Well, hopefully your Pew Bible's the same as the one I've just grabbed. Uh, so that's page 1025, and it's Luke chapter 1. Mary visits Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured?' that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So we've been doing a series in Luke, and uh, we've returned to it this morning. The, the passage actually begins um, in verse 26, and this is a continuation of it. What we see in those 30 verses, from 26 to 56, is, uh, can I suggest, stages of faith in Mary. Um, and what we begin to see is the struggles earlier on with the whole idea of the incarnation in Incarnation, which means in flesh, that whole idea. And her role in the incarnation. And Mary is gradual in the way in which she gets on board with this. She doesn't say, this is a great idea, I want to be part of this. That's not her at all. She's gradual, she ponders. We, we read earlier in that passage, ponders and wonders and thinks For there are many barriers to believing the angel. She doubts the message initially. And Christianity may seem ridiculous to to many, perhaps even some in this room. But the alternative, can I say, is worse. Uh, She asks questions. And in asking questions, she's open to truth. She's prepared to surrender if the truth is not what she first thought it to be. 
really bad to ask a question and say, I'm not interested in the answer, and some people do that. Asking a question interested in the answer, that's the best way to proceed to a new place. And it could be a different place to where you thought you were going to get to. And as we watch, she moves from uh, unable to believe, it's sort of a measured incredulity in those earlier verses, to simple acceptance. I surrender, basically through gritted teeth. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be done in me. And I want to suggest that's similar to the way Jesus prayed in the garden. That's similar to the way Abraham spoke in his engagement with God way back in Genesis. God said, go to Abraham. You read about it in Hebrews 11, 8. God said, go. Abraham said, where? And God said, "I'll, I'll tell you later. And Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Similar. I have a friend, his name is Ed, that's not his real name, but I'll call him Ed. He's 25. Uh, He's been badly wounded and he has more surgery to happen for him. He's in constant pain. And he tells me that he would like God to take his life. He actually didn't say, I'm going to take my life. Because if you're a chaplain and someone tells you they want to end their life, you've got a responsibility to report them. He's already in a secure unit with 24-hour cameras. And I didn't really understand why he said that initially. But, But I can sort of get it because of a recent conversation I had with him. And it's like Elijah, he wanted God to take his life. Like Jonah, he was a bit more peeved. He wanted God to take his life. Actually, to ask God, that's giving responsibility to God. But sometimes people find life such a burden, they would just like God to take it. And that's where he often is. That's why he's in this unit. When he was a kid, he, he grew up with a loving uncle and aunt and, and he was taught the Bible. He went to church and he, he learned how to pray as a kid. But then that marriage ended in divorce and he went back to his birth family and it was a disaster. He became unmanageable. But he did remember the things that his uncle and his aunt taught him. And he memorised the Bible. He meditated in those early years. What Amy was saying is so true. He memorised the Bible. That's when I first met him. Uh, He quoted the scripture at me all over the place. He was testing the chaplain. But lately... He listens when I read the Bible and he wants me to read the Bible to him. So we've read Daniel, we've read Jonah. We've... I actually copy what we do in church often. 
can't remember if we looked at Ecclesiastes. I thought that was too dark a place to go. We read Psalm 42 and 121 and 137 and we're into Mark chapter 1 now. He wants me to read the Bible. Three weeks ago he ripped up the Bible I gave him. And then he said, gosh, what have I done? I committed the unforgivable sin. What's the unforgivable sin? And we talked about that. And then about a week after that, he just cursed God about all the evil in the world. I mean, you're responsible. You could fix this. Ah, have I done the wrong thing? When he's clothed and in his right mind, actually, he's a joy to be with. He always looks forward to seeing me. I don't know why. It's not me, but he loves the Bible. The Bible is in his head. The Bible is in his heart. And he responds to it. It's almost transformational. So I spend every second day with him for about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. We read the Bible, we talk the Bible, we pray the Bible. I actually can see gospel joy. He's in the middle of a lot of pain. Mary's in a, little, in a lot of pain. The thing that's being asked of her is almost impossible for her to comprehend. What is this going to do to her life? And yet there's joy here, now, in the little passage. Something happens to her that transports her into a place of sheer joy. Is that you? Or... Or you just still, am I just still at the acceptance stage, just gritted teeth, surrender? I can't contemplate the alternative because that's got to be worse, but I'm certainly not in the place of joy. Surely Mary's mind went into overdrive when the angel left. Was I dreaming? Did I really have a conversation with this strange being was I really told what I thought I was told you see there was no replay you, you hear that annoying thing they, they, they record your message on a phone for training purposes there, there was no replay this extraordinary conversation had no witnesses to help recall those extraordinary moments, Mary was alone with this momentous information. But she knows exactly what to do. The angel Gabriel has mentioned Elizabeth, and so she goes straight to Elizabeth. Took her three days into the hill country of Judea, some, somewhere outside from Nazareth to Judea, somewhere outside of Jerusalem. And the immediate encounter with Elizabeth achieved two things. A great reassurance that the angel wasn't her dream, wasn't her imagination. Why? Because of the rehearsal of what the angel had said. Elizabeth knew what the angel said. What Elizabeth said to her, Mary should have been saying to Elizabeth. But she knows. How? Through the Holy Spirit, we're told. God's not doing something in secret. He's doing it in the lives of many people. 
It's actually a, it's a reminder you cannot be an individual on your own as a Christian. You need to be in the company of others. God communicates to us in a body. There's no guesswork. God is in charge in everything. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and Elizabeth tells Mary what you might have expected Mary to tell Elizabeth. And notice what she tells her. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you'll bear, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed what the Lord, the same person, what the Lord said he would do. The mother of my Lord, the child, and the Lord who makes the promise is the same person. This is incarnation. This is in flesh. This is God become man. It's, it's there in Luke. It's there in the words of Elizabeth. And now Mary does the Broadway musical. She bursts into song, a song of candour, unreserved worship and praise of God. He's her saviour. For God alone and only God is saviour. She would never have dared to ask to be the mother of anyone's Lord. Yet she believed the angel's message that she, Mary, will give birth to the eternal Messiah, the one called great, the son of the Most High, the heir of David's throne, the eternal ruler of Jacob's people, Israel. Mary worships God. Her soul, her spirit, same thing. The whole of her being is engaged in this praise. God, my Saviour. She rejoices. She delights in God, her Saviour. God has blessed her and she cannot but sing about it. He regarded her with favour. Others would see her humble, underprivileged, poor, lowly. That continued all the way through. Pigeons of what she took to the sacrifice to the temple. Pigeons, that's, that's poor person's sacrifice. Others would easily pass her by without giving her so much as the time of day, but, but God has not done so. From now on, the measure of God's blessing upon her will be known to all. I know it. The whole of Christendom knows it. But what do they know? All generations will call me blessed. Mary knows that she is the recipient of blessing. Mary knows that she's not the dispenser of blessing. And some began to make that mistake even in the time of Mary. God's favourable regard means that he's done mighty things for her. His name is holy. His benefit is mercy. To who? To those who fear him. And knock on to their children and their children's children. I'm in a jail. I see guys that have... I see Ed, but I see so many others. Ed has, was given an enormous privilege in a family that that taught him the Bible. 
introduced him to the God of Israel. And it stuck. It embedded in his memory. He's done some really bad stuff, but it's still there. Why would we take any notice of Mary's opinion and praise of God? Luke tells us. He gives us excellent reasons. Because of all the confirming eyewitnesses that he introduces to us to, that gather around Mary. And here it's Elizabeth, but later it'll be Joseph and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna, because God never acts in secret. He's preparing the world for his son with a host of witnesses. The journey that Mary um, made to see Elizabeth is like a trip we take after an exciting, life-changing event. And I, I reckon that she's still processing, she's remembering, she's reading Jeremiah in her mind because she has studied scripture. It's clear. I, I tried to give a speech last night at a birthday party to a man that memorises speeches. I can't do that. But you think, when you're going to something important, you're thinking, you're trying to process, and she's thinking about the God that she knows through Scripture. And the words are forming there, but she's not fully on board. She's still thinking, pondering. That's what faith is, actually. It starts with knowledge, but it won't be, you won't have everything, you can't have everything. But faith in the living God is consistent with what we do know. You will never know everything. You'd have to be God. We travelled to Adelaide to commence ministry with, uh, with Reg Piper. I was terrified. What have I done? It's a big church. I, this, uh, can I say preaching, what Jim does every week is really hard work. Can I say, try and do it. Try to show the majesty of God in the scriptures because we actually do have to get, a, get out of the way and people need to see God's majesty. I love doing it in a jail. You guys aren't looking at me. It's really hard. Exhausting, but it's true. When we travelled from Adelaide to be, I did it by myself because my brother was diagnosed with cancer. All sorts of things go through your head. Coming back from Cairns to Seaforth in 2000, leaving Seaforth and not really knowing what I was going to do. I know I'd had enough of being in parish ministry. It's hard work, that's why. But I didn't know what I was going to do. But actually with God, you actually don't have to worry about that. It's a bit like Abraham. Go where, I'll tell you later. So I end up in jail. I get released every evening. And I carry keys with me. We recall that 
uh, what we know about the person that brought excitement into their life. And in Mary's case, that person is God. That person is the God of Israel's fantastic history. That person is the God of Abraham. And she knows how awkward it was for him to put faith in this God because she knows her Bible and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Old Testament promises. You see, there's the three things, actually. Mary knows God. She knows him. She already knows the God in whose presence Gabriel stands because he is the God of the Old Testament. And she knows that God personally. Do we know that God personally? She's heard the Old Testament read and she's memorised it. She's like Ed. But it didn't all come together. She's meditated on it. Her praise of God comes in the language of scripture. I said in the earlier service, my grandchildren are in Norway and they speak, I, I don't know, but I'm told they speak Norwegian fluently. They've been there for a period of time, less than five years I think it is. How did they learn to speak Norwegian fluently? Now they don't have the vocab that everyone has, but they sound like a Norwegian. How do they do that? Reading books? No, they haven't done that, but they've listened. That's how children learn how to speak. They listen to their parents. How do we speak to God? We listen to God. He talks to us and we talk back to him. And that's what Ed does and this is what Mary does. It's not a new God to Mary. This is the God of Israel's history. She knows him already because she knows his word. She knows his promises. She's just wanting them to happen. She didn't realise that she was front and centre. That's what's terrifying. She's heard Hannah's plea in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and her, Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. She's read the Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi. See, I'm comfortable in Ed's presence because I read the Bible. I don't tell jokes to him. I read the Bible. And it comes with authority. The God who's been planning this since the dawn of time is going to do it now and is going to do it in her. So Mary knows God. She also knows her reality. She's humble. She knows she's a sinner saved by grace. How do we know? We look at her words. God alone is the saviour and he she knows and he she needs. Mary is not free of Adam's sin. From her own lips we hear her reliance on the grace of God and the joy of her salvation. Mary is the overwhelming recipient of blessedness and the unashamed giver of Adoration. She offers adoration. Praise. She knows God. She knows her own reality. And Mary is a faithful model of how to praise God. I mentioned earlier that in a lifetime some began to heap praise on Mary. They made the mistake of doing it in the presence of Jesus. In Luke chapter 11. 
A woman singled Mary out as the object of praise for being what? For being the mother of Jesus, being the mother of my Lord. The woman said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you, Jesus, and the mother that nursed you. And Jesus rebuked her, saying, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's where blessing is. Blessed rather are those that hear the word of God and obey it. That's what Elizabeth said to Mary. Blessed are you who believe what the Lord said he'd do. That's why she's blessed. The Magnificent is an expression of faith by a humble maiden who knows God's word and believes it, who knows her own reality. I have inmates that don't know their own reality. They are victims, they think. They've been found guilty and they think they're victims because they can only see themselves. Life is all about them. But Mary knows her own reality, who joyfully trusts God for his mercy and rests in his sure promises. It's really a classic trust and obey passage here. Even when the promises or what's being demanded seems far beyond your capacity, she, she actually surrenders herself with joy to this God because this is a God who reverses things, turns everything upside down, right side up. That, that's what our series has been. How does he do it? The proud, the mighty, the humble, the hungry, the rich, the covenant-believing community of Israel. The proud he causes to stumble. He did that to King Nebuchadnezzar. Graciously did that to King Nebuchadnezzar. The mighty from their thrones, he brought them down. The humble, he exalted. The hungry, he fed with good things. The rich, he sent away empty. He's the reverser. The covenant-believing, patiently-waiting servants of God in Israel, he has remembered to be mercy, merciful. You see, God is not bound by what men and women expect. No one expected God with us. No one in flesh. Mary's faith goes through stages. Her thinking is convinced, her will is surrendered and her heart is captive. Where are we? Is our thinking convinced? If you're not convinced, there will be no faith, there will be no progression, there will be no stage moving on. You've got to be convinced. Will surrendered like a father Abraham, like her son Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. It was gradual, beginning with simple acceptance and then faith from the heart. You see, this is the God who comes to us and finds us like he did Abraham. We don't find him, he finds us. The words of Jesus in the garden are similar. We've already mentioned that. He will plunge into unfathomable darkness. He will go as Abraham did, not knowing where he would be taken. Where does he go? Into God-forsaken territory. So we don't have to. He goes into the grave of Lazarus, 
and Lazarus comes out. He takes the sin of the man who comes down through the roof and he'll take it all the way to the cross. You see, he, he does what we cannot do. And it begins to dawn on Mary and she is overjoyed. I'm sure it goes like this. There are times when her heart will be pierced. But we see the infinite, endless redemption that comes from his obedience. And our prayer, hopefully, is, Lord, if you would do this for me, then I can trust you with anything you send into my life. Except this. I'll obey you whatever you say. Except this. Or is there no exception? I don't know whether Ed's going to... I think he's quit tearing up the Bible. But it doesn't matter. You see, what I say to Ed is you've got to be absolutely honest with God. If you're struggling, you've got to tell him. If you think he's the worst thing that ever happened to you, you've got to tell him. That's the way the Bible's written. You've got to have integrity in any relationship. And with this God, you actually can be brutally honest and he will meet you. He's the one that comes to you. He's the one that came to Mary. My prayer, and I'll finish, is that we all of us are granted the blessing of gospel joy, an understanding that comes like it does to Mary. Not all of us can sing like Josh, and I don't know how Mary sounded, but if our hearts are captive, then that actually is a transformational experience which, which Mary had. I trust we have. I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for this part of Scripture. There's much more. The story goes on, and Mary's given us a glimpse into you, a God that deals in the lives of people people way, way back and way, way forward. You're a God that can be trusted and you've provided for us in flesh, yourself, your son. And we thank you and pray that we might praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.